Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Hey, good morning. Good to see everybody. If this is your first time here, welcome. Thank you for coming out on this awesome, wonderful spring morning. The weather... The weather is just like so amazing that I'm thinking about moving the church further south. Let's say the Bahamas. Maybe. I don't know. It's like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, this is like, uh, hmm. Hey, we're so glad you're here this morning. And I do hope... um, I hope you'll come out next week. We have cards that you can take to your friends and drop off about the Easter services. And I, wish, I hope you'll take one. Not just invite them, but bring them along with you. Meet them here. Uh, have a donut and some hot coffee with them and, and bring them on in. As uh, We've been in a series on doubt. And we've uh, looked at some the historical information. We looked at miracles last week. We looked at, uh, you know, I doubt Jesus did any miracles. I, I got something I got to share. And I just got this this morning. Some of you... Uh, in the church, you know, Terry, Ronnie, Winterhalter, and uh, we had a video that we had shown a few weeks back of what uh, she went through and uh, how she was not supposed to make it, and, uh, and she sent me this doctor's report this morning. Throw this up. Can you see on the bottom of there what it says? <laughs> Miraculous healing. <laughs> And uh, as one who walked along that path and watched that whole thing, I have to tell you, it is indeed amazing. I heard it myself from a doctor say the same thing. And, and so, uh, so we've been looking at these different uh, doubts that we have and people have. And, and, uh, and so this is Palm Sunday. You know, this is uh, right before we get to the big, the big day, Easter. And I love Easter. And, uh, and so I thought we would talk about, in your handout, if you flip it over, you'll see it's, I doubt Jesus can change lives. I doubt that he has any lasting effect in anyone's life. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. And we've looked at a lot of facts, and we've looked at things that um, I'm hoping helps you in, in uh, nailing some things down. And uh, Dallas Willard, who was a really well-known and beloved Christian philosopher and uh, taught uh, in college and, and university and all, said this. He said, our will is transformed by experience, not information. And that comes from a Christian philosopher, very astute teacher. Our will is transformed by experience, not information. <laughs> <laughs> But information, you know, gets us to the place where we go, wow, I didn't know that. Information gives us, uh, maybe enlightens us on something we didn't know before and leads us into it. But, but no, no amount of just, you know, information being fed to you constantly really can, can really do anything to you unless you have an experience and you step into it, that is. And I heard years ago that, you know, if you can be talked into something, believing something, you can be talked out of it as well. Uh, but when it comes to having an experience or having a change in your life, something that's profound, something that says to you, all of this points toward this being real, that's a whole different story. And I think the Bible is full of these stories. 
And I think our lives and the people we're around many times, they have stories, we have stories as well. And it's, you know, you have experience maybe on one side and you have information or obtaining information on one side. But until there is some type of transformation between the two where somehow that information is processed into your heart and into your life in some way, some way where something clicks, it's just information. That's all it is. And information will not change your life. It may open up some things. It may make you a smarter person, but it doesn't change your life. It doesn't bring the presence of God into your life. It doesn't let you know and affirm to you that he's with you no matter what happens. And, and it, it, it's, I mean, you know, I'm an information junkie. I love this stuff, but it's not that that changed my life. In John 14 and 16 through 17, Jesus led his disciples on to this. He, he kind of said, you know, you guys are going to need something else where he said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. In other, in other words, like me, another to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. That is that all the information that you want to read about him and everything else that doesn't get them there, us there, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He'll be a part of you. And again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14, and I won't quote this scripture, but this is a good one to hang on to. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that a spiritual person, that is a person who has had an experience with God, with Christ, understands things that a person who has not cannot that there's some type of change, there's something that happens in a person's life where suddenly they process things and they see things differently. And that can't be done with just information. Amen. There's some change with the Holy Spirit, His presence coming into our life. So, the question is today, so can Jesus change lives? That's the question. So, that's what we're going to jump into and uh, let's pray and we'll do it. Father, thank you for this time together, and uh, thank you for each one here. I pray, I pray for every one of us, Lord, uh, as we've looked at this series on doubt, doubt about uh, your reality, and also of you being able to come into our life and make a change, and a lasting change. And so, Father, we ask for your help today. Jesus, you promised the Holy Spirit, and we ask for him, dear Holy Spirit, would you come you're welcome in this place. You're welcome to move among hearts. You're welcome to open up our minds, our hearts to your presence and to the reality that is Jesus Christ and the change that he indeed can bring. So, Lord, help us. Help me in my frailty, Lord, my weakness this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you got four examples on, in your fill-in that I want to use. And also, we've got some special guests coming up during this. I'm... I'm we're going to have some fun. Your first example of this is I, I, the first person I think of in Scripture is Peter. I mean, Peter is such a, an amazing, uh, to me, character. He is so passionate. You ever, have you known people who have more passion than they do good sense? Have you, you, know, like, you know? Yeah, I know some people like that sometimes. Um, that, you, know, you just throw yourself into it. You say whatever needs to be said to make the point. You, you know, you're all in before you've considered what it takes to get all in. And uh, you're just going at it constantly. And uh, I love people like this. And Peter, I think, 
Not only was, were his feet moving this way, but his mouth was moving this way many times. He would just say things, and then afterward, you know, it would be like Jesus. Sometimes I think Jesus goes, oh, man. You know, when he, when he listens to Peter and he watches him. And, uh, and many of you know the story as we build up to Easter that Jesus told Peter this last bit of time before he was arrested. He says, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me. You're, gonna, you're just going to deny that you even know me. And Peter was like, there is no way in the world. I'll follow you to the death, you know. I'll do anything, you know, all in, all in, all in. And then what happens? They arrest Jesus. They take him off. And a servant girl, a girl that served in the court, saw Peter and goes, hey, you're the guy hanging out with the guy who was just arrested. He goes, oh, no, not me. No, no, it's not me. Not me, not me. Then a little later on, she comes, sees him again, and says, hey, you, you, you were with that guy. No, it's not me. And then finally, you know, standing around the fire outside while all of this is going on, finally, people look at him and go, you were with the Nazarene. That's you, you. And to make a point, Peter being the passionate man that he is, it says he cursed to really make the point. I am not. I don't know him. I do not know him. Man, Jesus had told him that, uh, you know, the rooster would crow. You know, and sure enough, it crowed. And, and in Mark 14, 66 through 72, that's where you can find the story. It says when the, when the chicken crowed, it says, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Because when Acts 2 rolls around, and Jesus has gone back to the Father, and he's told his disciples, hey, you guys go, Hank, go to your rooms. You go to your room. Go to your room and don't come out until the Holy Spirit comes. Go to your room. All right, yes, okay, Jesus. You know, went to their room and where they're praying. And then the Holy Spirit, of course, presence of God, that presence of Jesus that you can't really put under a microscope and you can't really measure and you can't add, subtract from him, but the presence comes and the same Peter that just a few days earlier had denied Jesus three times to the point of cursing and saying, he died, I don't know him. It says, then Peter stood up, instead of running away, <laughs> with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And then he preached his first sermon. His first sermon. It went pretty well. Um, you ever read it? It's in there. And um, Acts 2. And he addresses the crowd and thousands of people just respond to it. I mean, does Jesus change lives? I mean, seriously. The reason I got surfboards up here is not only because... You know, you get sick of my surfing stories. You know, I had a precious guy one time years ago, an older gentleman in the church who, uh, at our other location, who came to me one Sunday. And he, he loved me. He was really neat. But he looked at me and he says, Tim, if you tell one more surfing story, I'm leaving this church. <laughs> you know, but he didn't. And, uh, <laughs> but the reason this is up here is because in 1971, some of you have heard my story, May 1st, 1971, this is... 1971. This is a 1971 surfboard. It's, it's 
this was my brother's board because I sold mine. But uh, this was my brother's board. In 1971, something dramatically happened to me. Something that all these years later is still burning within my heart. It wasn't information except that someone told me about Jesus and something happened. This experience, this confrontation with a very real God who loves his creation so much that he's willing to come and show himself to a 19-year-old surfer in a hotel room in North Carolina. 20-year-old surfer. And this is now. So in this gap, this is my board now, so one of them. And so in between this time, in between this time is where Jesus does his thing. You know, in between the then and the now. And in between this time is also, in a way, what God uses to refer, uh, confirm to us over and over and over again that it, he indeed changes lives. He continues. This was just the beginning. You know, we're still in process. But Jesus continues to change and change and change. Does Jesus change lives? I'll have to tell you, I, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I want to say this. Uh, how do I do this? Um, in my, this isn't to paint bad to good at all, but I just want to show you the difference too. In 1971, early on, and actually a little earlier than that, 68 and 69, I used to put things on the bottom of my board, right on the tip, on the nose of my board. And I used to have uh, two words on the nose of my board that were in another language, so people would ask me what it said. And uh, how do I say this? Um, one, one word started with an F and the other one with a Y. And... Uh, and that was on the nose of my board so that when I paddled out in the water, I'd paddle right up to people like this. And they would look at it and they'd go, what does that mean? And I'd tell them. <laughs> and they would kind of back off a little bit and then I'd get all the waves. And that, that, was, that was the point. I hope I'm not offending anybody in this culture. I don't think so. But... Uh, but look, after this, after this, I put something else on the nose of my board. And it was this, ask me. And all I wanted anybody to do when I was paddling out in that ocean is just ask me what that means. Just like the other one, but a little different meaning behind it. And that change was profound in my life. Profound. And, uh, well, I just want to say that does Jesus change lives? Yes, he does. And there's another guy in the Bible named Paul. Paul was not a fan of Christianity, um, to say the least, right? Paul was not a fan. Paul, if you read the book of Acts, uh, Acts 7, you find out that, you know, when the Stephen, deacon in the church, was stoned to death, was killed for his faith. It says that Paul was standing right there. It says in Acts 8.1, and Saul, which is Paul, approved of their killing them, him. But then listen to this. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But something happened. Something happened. He 
he had a profound experience with Jesus, where Jesus basically told Paul, you're mine. No longer are you going to do that. You're mine. And we have to kind of, going to have to do a little uh, cleaning you up, Paul. I'm going to kind of take you away from things for a little while. Let you go hang out with someone who knows me. And listen and learn. And, you know, Paul had a reputation in the church world, that early church world, for his hatred and for his hunting down. He was on his way with papers to arrest more Christians when Jesus confronted him. And in Acts 9, 26 through 31, we read, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. <laughs> they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. The people couldn't believe the change in his life. There's no way. I mean, these were Christians who had been changed, right? But Paul, no way. No, don't go near him. And so he goes to Barnabas. Barnabas, known his name, son of encouragement. Barnabas takes him along and says, hey, let me introduce you to the brothers and the sisters. And so Barnabas takes Paul. And as we know, Paul turned into writing most of our theology and New Testament. That, I mean, Paul was an amazing person. Matter of fact, Antony Flew, uh, probably a most well-known atheist of the 20th century, said this uh, about Paul and he said, as I have said more than once, no other religion enjoys anything like the combination of a charismatic figure like Jesus and a first-class intellectual like St. Paul. So does Jesus change lives? Can he change lives? I want Mike, where are you, Sobe? Come on up. And uh, you guys know Mike? Hello. Mike, tell us a little bit about what God's well, done. Well, my story is not quite as quick as yours. Um, it took several years. That's all right. But um, I'm, I'm a science guy. I'm a, I'm a logical, proof kind of guy. If you can tell me and prove to me that God exists, I'll believe it. Um, but what ultimately did me in wasn't the science. It wasn't the proof. It was the people around me. Um, when I got married, I was not a Christian. My wife was, her mother was. They would pray for me relentlessly, invite me to church. Uh, we made friends with um, very faithful people. And it was me seeing the way that they acted and the way they lived their lives, the way that they lived out their faith. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes. Um, but it was, it didn't, it took me several years after to kind of realize this, but it wasn't the facts. I knew the facts. Um, it was seeing people walk in the faith that kind of did me in. So without any fanfare, um, about a month before my son was born in 2004 in January, I was laying in bed one night and uh, my wife was sleeping and I just sat and I thought. And I was struggling against the devil. I was wrestling with Jesus like a little kid. I was fighting with myself and I realized... I have all the information, and I actually think I have believed for a while. I knew the information, but there was a step of surrendering that I didn't do. There was an action of, I can know it, and like you were saying, it's a, it's a choice that I made. And, man, that was the hardest thing. I mean, probably five, six hours just laying in bed, sweating and struggling. Uh, and I finally just, in my heart, just took that step and said, okay, Jesus, I am yours. 
And then I my first thought was, well, I guess I'm a Christian now. <laughs> now what? <laughs> I was so prideful, though. Um, I didn't want to admit I was wrong. I didn't even tell my wife for about two weeks. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's just the adventure from there. It's, it's just been every day I'm amazed at how much bigger God seems uh, in my life. And that's about it. Uh, share a little bit of the G.K. Chesterton Oh, yeah. yeah. So my friend Stephen, um, who we would sit up for hours when I was uh, an atheist and he was a believer, and um, sometimes till five in the morning, he would was so patient with me, and I think that was one of the big things. He recommended a book, uh, Orthodoxy, by G.K. Chesterton. It was written in 1908, I think. Uh, he was a British um, Eastern Orthodox, or I'm sorry, uh, British Orthodox uh, church guy. And the book just presented the gospel in a way that really made sense to me. It wasn't facts and figures. It wasn't, here's why Jesus existed and here's the truth behind it. It was the way he presented it from his own point of view. He said, this is what it means to me in my life. Um, and it just made so much sense. I couldn't, that was a big influence into my decision. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. So. Awesome. Right. So... Does Jesus change lives? Uh, I just want to know. There's another guy in the Bible, a guy named James. James was Jesus' stepbrother, half-brother. And you've heard me kind of humorously mention before that um, Jesus' family, other than his mom, and, you know, really thought that he was kind of out there, that they would stand in the back of the room of his meetings and look and just wonder, you know, what has happened to our big brother? And... Uh, James in John 7, 5, it says about him and the rest of the family, it says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They weren't following him as a disciple. They were at home wondering about him and probably being concerned about him. But by the time we get to Acts 1, 14 in the story, when they were sent, the group was sent to their room, that 120 or so. Uh, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who? And with his brothers. Something happened in there. Something happened between uh, Jesus' life, where he's 32, 33, ever how many years old. And then when we get to Acts 1, James is a part, of, the family is a part of that first prayer meeting. When they're praying and waiting, as Jesus told them to, for the presence of God to come. Now, if you read on about James's story, you, uh, you'll find out he becomes a pillar in the church. That in Galatians 2, it says that of how he becomes such a strength and such a solid rock, and especially in the Jerusalem church itself. The main place from which Christianity spread out from, James became a profound part of that and uh, lived his life, gave his life for the sake of the gospel. So something changed in James's life between, sta uh, between standing in the back of that room, looking at Jesus, looking at his half-brother, and then when we get to Acts 1, and for the rest of his life, some profound change, some confrontation, something clicked, some light went on inside of him that changed his destiny and his behavior forever. Something happened. And he had all the information, didn't he? He had it all. He's raised in a Jewish family. He knew the prophecies. He knew all of that. He saw his brother. He was there with him. And yet it, something happened along the way where he went from this 
to this somewhere in the process. It goes from skeptic to believer to leader. Something happened. I want to bring up a dear friend, Tom Henson. Uh, come up and uh, I'm going to let Tom introduce himself. And uh, Tom lives in Greenville now, right? Hard for a guy with sand in his shoes and salt water in his brain. So, uh, I, I won't need that. No, you will recording, so you will need it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to stand on this side so he can elbow me when my time is up. I got to hit this hard and fast. I grew up in Myrtle Beach. Uh, my roots go way down in this sand. My grandfather was the first and third mayor of Myrtle Beach. My other grandparents were in the hotel business. Went through kindergarten all the way through high school in coastal Carolina for two years. Um, I grew up in the Presbyterian church. I had a lot of information, but this God and this Jesus stuff is like, eh, it's for old ladies and little kids. Well, <laughs> my story is similar to his. When I was 14 years old, when I was 12, my parents divorced. When I was 14, I started surfing. This stuff, I'm sorry, another surfing story. This is all I wanted to do, except party at the electric circus. And, and when I was 14, I started smoking dope, and I started taking acid, and I started taking psilocybin, and I started taking mescaline, and I was a wreck. But I didn't know it. I was, my heart was hard. My ears were, were deaf. My eyes were blind. But there was a guy that would show up on the beach with a bunch of us surfers, and he was really cool. There were some people that would come along and try to tell us about Jesus, Canvas Crusade people. We would run them off. We don't want to hear that mess. But there was one guy who would come down, and he would talk to us about Jesus. He was full of grace. He was full of compassion. He didn't judge us. He didn't condemn us. This guy right here. He would come down, and he would talk, and I would listen. And he would just pepper little conversations he'd say he'd paddle out well he at the end of you didn't know i was going to say all this but at the end of of december of 1974 i was invited to go on a surfing trip to hatteras with some other friends he led three friends of mine to the lord two brothers and rob hurt rob hurt lived next to me robert and jerry lived right next to me um and they went on a surfing trip, and when Rob came back, I said, how was your trip? And he looked at me, and there was something different about him. He said, well, something happened. And I went down a list of, did this happen? Did this happen? He went, no, no, no. I said, what happened? He said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm not nervous right now. I'm just excited. And the information that I had picked up over the years in church and from my saved mom, it went from information to seeds started busting out in me. I saw Jesus and Rob Hurt. I saw a changed life. And for three days, folks, I went through terrible, wonderful conviction. I went to a bar, tried to get drunk, tried to get high, could not get drunk. Big Jeff Roberts sat next to me. I was whining and carrying on with him. He said, man, you just need to get saved. <laughs> and finally... On, on January 2nd, 1975, Rob came over, and he was just beaming with Jesus. And I said, man, i got to be saved. What do I need to do? He said, let me call Tim. <laughs> he calls Tim, and Tim comes over. I don't think you knew what was going on. He walked into a room. I was upstairs on the floor with Mark McDandle and Wade Smith, and Rob had been 
talking about Jesus to these guys, and they were sitting there like this, just shaking and trembling. And I said, what are you guys doing here? And they said, we got to get saved. He, <laughs> he walks in the door, and he looks at Rob, and he looks at us on the floor, and he says, what's going on? And I got to him first, and I grabbed him. I said, man, I need to know Jesus. And he said, hit the floor, boys, and we did. <laughs> and we prayed. I was changed, and I know I'm running out of time. Let me tell you what happened. I was born again. I came up off of that floor. These songs about chains breaking, those chains of drug use dropped off of me. The, pot, the desire for pot dropped off of me. The desire for alcohol dropped off of me. The desire to party dropped off of me. I came up a new man. One more minute. And life every year is better and better with Jesus Christ. And if anybody here doesn't, has not welcomed Jesus into your life yet, let me just say this. Don't leave out of here today without welcoming Jesus, the Savior, into your life. Jesus took all your sins, past, present, and future. They are nailed to the cross he took your sins. He died for you. Why? He loves you. God loves you. God is not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. He loves you. And this, and, and this is the almost too good to be true news that you can have a new life. Jesus died for you. He was buried for you. And the, the best part is... He was raised to new life for you. There is no need for you to, to struggle anymore. God loves you. He's been given a bad rap for too many years. Churchianity has given him a bad rap. But let me tell you what. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He's proved it in Jesus. And do not leave here today without welcoming him into your life. I'm changed. I'm grateful for this guy because he had... He had Enough care and compassion and grace and concern for a bunch of lost, wretched surfers to share his love of God to us. And I'm changed. And I had information, and that information burst forth into my life, and there is no need for you to leave today without that. I want, we want, believers in this building want the righteousness and the fire of a new birth to bust forth in you today. And, and you can have it. And after church, come see him, and he'll tell you how to do it. Wow. <clears throat> Man. Thank you, Tom. Dee Dee is wise right here. And if you doubt the story, ask her. She'll tell <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's another, uh, the, your last fill-in is Lydia, a lady named Lydia in the Bible. Um, in Acts 16, 11, Paul, having his life amazingly changed, is on a journey, and he's pressing out toward Europe, actually, pressing that way. And so his habit when he moved into a new area was to go to the Jewish temples, the synagogues, and he would start there, and he would begin to share Christ and so when he goes to this 
town. When he sails to Philippi, he gets to this town in this city, and there is no temple because they don't have enough men to form one yet. And so the way they would do it in those days is you would meet near a body of water. We'd go down to a river or a lake or somewhere, and those uh, who were Jewish believers would gather there, and they would worship. Well, Paul goes there with his friends to see who's hanging out, and there is a, there's a small group there, but there's a woman there named Lydia, and she has with her her staff, I guess, because she was a business lady. She owned a fabric company, if you want to call it that, where they did special dyes and colors that were uh, very special to the region. So she had quite a, she had a, a good life going. She probably had, as they tell us, uh, a larger home than most of the uh, normal people, average person in that area. And so uh, Paul begins to have a conversation with Lydia. And she was a good woman, like so many people are, good people. And some people who even love God, and, but have a concept of God, but have not met the personal Jesus. Of Jesus came to this earth, fully God, fully man, so that we could know personally our creator. She did not know Jesus. And so Paul shares with her. And there on that riverbank around that, she and her whole household, evidently her employees, her staff, her family, they all come to know Christ and they're baptized there. And one of the things, let me just read a part of the story. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate. This is Acts 16, 13 through 15. All of this is in your handout. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And listen to this. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The story goes on. The history goes on. That there were churches birthed out of her home. Started in her house. And then the church planting movement began to happen. She was the first convert in Europe. Lydia was. And so this woman. Who was a good woman. Sometimes we. You know. Some of us have these stories of. You know. Really bad. You know. To good you know that God and then there are some they're just good people some of like some maybe some of you guys are good people you're just trying to do what's right you're, you're trying to live life right and if there is a God you're like I just I want to honor God but you don't know Christ and the change in Lydia to me was she went from this very centered her business was everything to putting what she had at the disposal of God Paul, if you really believe that I know Jesus, will you come and stay with us? In other words, teach us the scripture, help us. And then she put at her disposal everything she had so that the gospel could go forward, in which it did. Now, um, does Jesus change lives? Well, yeah, I think so. I want Ryan and uh, Lauren Ritty to come up for a minute. Here we go. Can Jesus change lives no, i just certainly. i just want to know right. yes yeah, cer certainly so uh i'll just <laughs> jump right in it was 2015 i was involved in a head-on collision with another automobile while working uh this car traveling about 45 miles an hour swerved across four lanes of traffic hit me head on and i remember the glass shattering and scattering everywhere getting knocked out for a split second waking up dangling outside the truck and i 
came to, kind of saw the crumpled car in front of me, and I, I thought to myself, I was like, man, I am just so lucky to have, you know, survived this, what could have been potentially fatal accident. And it was a couple weeks later, Laura and I were having to drive past the scene of the accident, and I described her in more detail what had happened that day. And I looked at her and I said, Lauren, I was just so lucky to have made it through this accident. And I thought about those words. And I said, from my heart, I felt the spirit prompting me. And I said, Ryan, were you just lucky that day? Or were you protected? Was God protecting you that day? So this time of the accident, when, when the accident occurred two weeks prior, I was aware of who Jesus was, but he wasn't certain in my life. And after hearing those words spoken over me, it was like somebody had flipped a switch like on my brain and like the lights went on. And I just knew there was so much more for me in store and that Jesus had his hand in that act just protecting me and guiding me and that he had so much more for me than that accident. And and, and he was a different person. It's, it's like something totally changed from the time of the accident to those God-given words spoken over him. Something changed in Ryan's life. Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit captivated his attention. He got involved in community. He started reading scripture. He started getting involved in church. He was, just became a different person. It was incredible. It really was. Just saying, I mean, I don't know, Jesus changed lives. Hey, uh, there was a guy that lived uh, way back in 1720, lived between 1725 and 1807, uh, and uh, a guy named John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader, hellraiser, uh, extraordinaire, uh, ocean guy, and uh, who found himself in the slave trade and over again and again and again. He had a confrontation with God in such a way that he took himself off the ships and he took an admin job and he, he thought maybe, maybe I could do something to change things here at this desk and all, but then he realized it, it just wasn't working. And, and so uh, he actually quit and he called it, he called the business, the slave trade business, this is a quote, a business at which my heart now shudders. He left there and became an Anglican priest and uh, began to preach over and over and over again. And even when he got up into his late 70s and early 80s, people would come to Newton and say to him, when are you going to retire? When are you going to stop this, man? You, you know, you've lived a rough life. You've done everything. And, and I love Newton's quote here. He said, I cannot stop. What? Shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak? He couldn't stop because of the change. He had to keep preaching. He had to keep telling people about Jesus because of the change in his life. And you may know John Newton because we sang a phrase from one of his songs a while ago, Amazing Grace. And he wrote a lot of hymns, a lot of hymns after that time. I want Daniel West, my friend, to come up. And All right, brother. Wow, that's kind of uh, interesting. First off, uh, thank you. Um, I'm simply here by the grace of God and faith and trust in Jesus Christ.
Um, I was actually, without even knowing you were going to say that, I was going to acapella sing some amazing grace for you all. So thank you to the praise team, and thank you for you all leading that in. Um, I have notes, but I'm not even going to look at them. Pretty much that surfer guy that um, Tim always talks about at that contest, that was my dad. Um, I grew up with deep roots in Myrtle Beach. I um, had an amazing grandfather that was a godly man. Like, when he died, I knew what they were telling up at the pulpit was true. Like, there wasn't any doubt. And uh, But I had that around me for 16, 17 years, and life was good. I honored God, and he blessed me. It was a simple life, and there wasn't too much complication. And then when I became an adult, and uh, at age 17, I took my will back, and I thought that I knew enough, that I had enough knowledge to get through this thing, and that Jesus was in my veins enough. But I had my parents' relationship with God. I had my family's relationship with God. I didn't have my relationship with God. So when I went to Clemson University and had an opportunity to play baseball for them, and they were the number one team in the nation, squandered it, um, chose alcohol, served alcohol, drugs, women, my own will for about 16, 17 years. Um, I went to Coastal Carolina. They won the College World Series for baseball. I couldn't make it there. Um, I just kept fighting, and that was like 12 years before I surrendered. I keep hearing that word. Um, I, I, in the, on New Year's Eve, in the back of a cab, I called the United States Navy and said, I don't know what to do. I'm going to join the Navy. That'll fix it. But I just kept running. I kept searching for other things than what I knew was just going to fill this God-shaped hole in my heart. And I didn't have an accident. I didn't hurt a girl for the last time. It wasn't some major thing, but I, God broke me one day to the point where I gave everything to him, surrendered to him entirely, gave him all my guilt, all my shame, all my fear, all the thoughts that I thought like that he was just wasn't ever going to forgive me. And then I just thought of all, all the things that I thought I knew about life. I just surrendered, and I went and I asked for help. And I broke down to my knees, and I asked for help. And I went to the right places, or God put those places in front of me and the people in front of me. And that was uh, 23 months ago to this day. And to this day, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 23 months. And that's grace to God. But uh, every day now is, a, is contingent on just am I giving my will to him? What I did 23 months ago doesn't help me today. It's a daily thing. And God just kept trying to slow me down, kept trying to slow me down and just do his will. And when I clip into that, life's gotten tremendously better. Like Tom said, I can't even describe it to you. I'm not nervous. I wanted to come up here and be nervous, but I'm just excited because God, I now have a, I have a purpose. And my purpose is it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with just pointing. I mean, everything on this piece of paper just kept pointing to God and kept pointing to Jesus. And... Uh, Last night, as I was thinking, like, I don't have any grand message. I just have my experience. I can't tell you how it works. I can tell you how it worked for me. But all I know is that when I seek him, he finds me. And when I seek him daily, when I seek him every minute, when I seek him with every breath that I take, he meets me before I can even exhale. Amen. Amen. All praise to God. That's all. Amen. Does Jesus still change lives? Just wondering. Um, well, there was a blind man. We'll close out with this. That Jesus touched and healed. And people kept coming to him and keeps, kept asking him, you know, did this really happen? This guy really didn't do it, did he? Over in John 9. 
And uh, people even said, nah, Jesus, he only looks like, a, you know, the guy that was healed only looks like somebody that was healed. Really, it's another guy who never was blind. And it, it, stories just kept coming because people didn't believe that Jesus could change a life. And then they went to the parents and they said, he's not really your son, it's somebody else, right? That's, and then and they goes, no, he's our son. He's our son. It, something's changed. Something's happened. And then when they finally got to him again, he just got exasperated. And he says, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And they just kept badgering him. And finally, the young man looked at them and said, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? (laughs) So keep asking the questions. Keep saying, is this real? Keep asking, but don't wait. When you feel God pulling and calling and wooing you to say yes to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the word of testimony this morning. I pray now for those in the room. Who have not made that step. Have not said yes. Holy Spirit, would you now move. Open up the door of resistance so that they can respond to your grace and your mercy, Lord. Is that happening to you? Is Jesus changing your life right now? Are you going from darkness to light right now in your heart? Are you feeling that? Are you sensing that? I want to know. Would you raise your hand? Just say, Tim, that's what's going on right now in me. Right at this moment, I feel his presence. I realize he has called me. He has drafted me to come and to follow him. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Also, maybe you've walked away. You've like drifted, drifted out there a bit. And you're like, oh, gosh. Jesus, you did change my life, and you can still change my life in so many ways. I want to re-engage. I want to recommit. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you as well. Would you lift your hand? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's stand, guys. Thank you, Lord. Father, would you bring your presence, Lord, to the lives of those seeking those recommitting who have seen the road and strayed off of it a bit of time, Lord, have not experienced your presence, not experienced your voice in some time, would you come now and reassure, make yourself known now, Father, in their lives. Jesus, come walk among us once again, like you did in those, that room after the resurrection, where the doors were closed, maybe the doors of our hearts closed But Lord, you walk right through those closed doors and right straight into their presence. Would you walk into our lives today anew and afresh? Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.